Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Health Media Now with award-winning author and host Denise Messenger for a lifetime of health empowerment. Live by being in the pink, meaning P stands for being persistent, I stands for using your intuition, N stands for networking, and K stands for obtaining knowledge. Preserve and protect your health by listening live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Our guests entertain and share cutting-edge information. They share with you what may have taken years to achieve through experience in their field. Become inspired and motivated. Reach your full potential with fascinating tips and products. Receive a lifetime of benefits from authors, doctors, practitioners, healthcare providers, and learn about exciting new products. You asked for it, and we deliver. Now, here's your host, Denise Messenger. Hello, listeners. Today is January 15th, 2014. We have a wonderful show today. Have you um, ever heard the phrase, or actually the motto, ordinary people can accomplish extraordinary things? Well, today we have a man who has done just that. His name is Carl Gruber, and our topic today is running for health. Now, Carl has done something so extraordinary, and I'm so excited to be talking to him about it. He actually ran in 1996-1997 52 marathons in 52 weeks, and he did it all to raise money and awareness for leukemia research. I think that's just an amazing thing to do. He actually became the ninth man in the world to successfully run and complete those marathons. He's also written dozens of articles on running and um, triathlons and also on sports nutrition for running. And we'll be very interested to hear about um, his thoughts, um, particularly in the sports nutrition area. So now I'd like to welcome to our show Carl Gruber. Hello, Carl. Hey, hi, Denise. Uh, I really appreciate the opportunity to uh, be here with you tonight. Thanks. You're welcome. Now, I typically like to start my shows out with finding out from my guests, how did you get on the path that you got on in 1996? Well, you know, actually, I should say... uh, the journey began in 1996. The path uh, began, you know, in the previous 20 years. Uh, I think I even state this in my book, uh, Running for Their Lives, which I wrote about the 52 marathons in a year, um, that I have been and I still am what I call a disciple of positive possibility power thinking. And, and as we know, uh, most of the world knows Norman, Dr. Norman Vincent Peale, who started, uh, pretty much started the positive thinking movement, or was one of the first to utilize that term uh, way back in the early 20th century. And that, of course, reading uh, The Power of Positive Thinking and moving to other books, Napoleon Hill's Fantastic Thinking Grow Rich, um, on to um, you know, later people, uh, Dr. Robert Schuller, who was based in Orange County uh, with, when he had the Crystal Cathedral there, um, Dr. Wayne Dyer, uh, on and on and on, and, and it snowballed into that. And, and it, that's basically it. I was just a disciple of it, and it gave me the motivation to see what I could do to try to make the world a little better, healthier, happier place. What... Um motivated you to start reading all these books? Was there something significant that had happened in your life? You know, I I can't say there was anything significant. It was interesting because I grew up in an agnostic family. Um, We never went to church or anything. But I, ever since I was especially um, in my late teens and early 20s, I, I really felt some draw on my being to start to understand what it was all about. Um, 
And when, of course, um, we all experience this, you look around and you see all the chaos in the world and, and, and you think, well, there's got to be a better way. And I think there's something inherent in my being that I don't necessarily, I, I can't necessarily express in words that I just know that there is a single source, a creator, the universe, uh, whatever you want to call it, God, that has uh, manifested us, that has created us. And, and I continue to believe that. It just seems natural. That's the way it should be. It should be like that. Why running? Why did you get into it? Oh, <laughs> well, you know, that's great. That's a great question. I've I've always been physically active. I played tennis for a long, long time. But, you know, we're on the radio, and, and radio was really an impetus for me to do this. I, I was a disc jockey on the air in, in a radio station here in Ohio for 20 years. And the lifestyle and the hours are really tough on you. You know, I was doing the all-night show from midnight to 6, uh, talking all night and then doing commercials in the morning and, and you know, it throws off your, your sense of well-being, your, your um, regular cycle of day and night. And I started to gain weight and not feel so good. And I had some good friends who were running at the time. And since I was already fit from playing tennis all the time, I just went out the door and started running and got to know people in the running area and uh, finally ran my first marathon uh, way back in 1983. And I was just hooked. And, and I, I found and I saw what a fabulous um, sense of health and well-being and fitness it gave to me. And plus, I love to eat and drink beer, so I had to burn off the calories, <laughs> you know. And believe me, it works. But, you know, it, and, and the interesting thing about that is, is as you spend the time and effort running, you know, I was running as, back then. I don't run quite as many miles a week, but I'm running 50, 60 miles a week, and and you burn off those calories. Um, uh, you, you have to make it up, um, and and so you learn you learn how to handle that, and you also because of the time and effort you're spending and becoming physically. Uh, fit and and uh, gaining a, a new level of health, and also most runners too. Not everybody, but most runners have a race as a goal, and you want to be in as best shape as possible. You start to gravitate to to better eating, better health habits. It just is natural. Okay, I spent all this time and effort to run this 15 miler today, so I'm going to come home and eat an entire chocolate cream pie and a pizza, and and, and not do anything the next day. And so you learn about that. You start eating more uh, salads and healthy and gravitating to organic foods, that type of thing. But you also look at foods that provide you energy, too. Uh, and mm-hmm. some of those things, if, if you're sedentary, they're just going to add weight to you. But it's uh, it's kind of a, a neat cycle. You know, you put the time and effort in running, and, and it could be any form of exercise. But uh, there's a natural gravitation to healthier living and eating that, that come with that. When we talk about the 52 marathons that you completed in 52 weeks, did you have a, um, a nutritionist at the time that, that helped you with that preparation before each oh. marathon? Oh, no, no, not at all, because um, by that time, I hadn't been running so long, I understood exactly what I needed to eat uh, and, and and to drink and stay hydrated. Uh, so, no, there was no nutritionist. I was my own nutritionist. And, and again, you know, I, I, I kid about it, but my favorite post-marathon uh, meal is beer and pizza. I mean, it's just carbohydrates, and, and you don't overdo either. But but it really it's amazing. It really does rehab me. Now for other people, it may be a bowl of oatmeal or or a steak or whatever, whatever your body can handle. Uh, and it doesn't have to be after a marathon. It could be after a training run. You find out what works for you. There are certain types long, of foods. How many, yes. how many miles were these marathons? 
Well, that you know, it's one of my one of the the favorite questions of runners. How long is this marathon? Well, there's only one distance to a marathon: 26.2 miles, or if we have people listening in in other countries, it's 42.2 kilometers. It never changes; it's always that distance. Oh, well, that's interesting. Um, yeah, I thought so perhaps there way. were shorter ones. Well, then they wouldn't be called a marathon. Oh, okay. Yep, it's a race that else. only 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 twenty six point two miles is qualified as a marathon. Okay. So, did you go through any physical disabilities as a result of running? Well, you know that's um, that's a really great question. Um, at the beginning of my uh, 52 marathons, before I even started, I said, you know, I'm going to do this, darn it. And injury and illness are not an option. Injury is not an option. Injury is not an option. I just repeated it like a mantra. And, and, and you know, it, the power of our mind is, is way beyond what most of us understand what it really can do. And I think it ingrained into my subconscious uh, so much that uh, I had no major injuries during the 52 marathons. Overall, as a runner, uh, I graced with uh, good genetics and a strong body uh, that that handles uh, um, endurance uh, sports, the beating that you can take in it. But, you know, there were times during the 52 weeks that um, I, I was just totally beat up and drained, but... Again, with my, my uh, being graced with wonderful genetics, within two or three days I was usually recuperated and ready to go and say, okay, let's get rock and roll, let's go do another marathon. Um, so I, I'm really fortunate that way. And, and But again, I, I emphasize to most people, and they think it may be a lot of hooey, but honestly, the power of your, of your thoughts if you continue to, to look at it, and I still use that to this day. Injury and illness are not an option. Injury and illness are not an option. And if I do catch a cold or if I, I actually sprained my uh, lower back a couple of months ago and within two weeks I was 100% recuperated, I come back very quickly. Superman. <laughs> no, an ordinary man can accomplish extraordinary things. Remember that, right? <laughs> No, I think you're Superman. So tell the listeners, how did you get the idea to, to do this running um, to raise money for leukemia? Where did, how did it all come about? Yeah, and, and I'm really glad you asked that question, you know. And, and the first reaction I get from people is, but a marathon a week for 52 weeks, that's crazy. And then they find out I did it for leukemia, and I say, oh, yeah, crazy for a good reason. Still a, a, a crazy effort, but, you know, how it happened is the Leukemia Society of America for 20 years or more now, more than 20 years, I think, has had a, a marathon training group called Team and Training. So back in, in 1993, I believe it was, I got a letter in the mail from Team and Training. I had never even heard of them, and, they, and it said, well, how about if you run the Honolulu-Hawaii Marathon, and we'll pay you way there. All you have to do is raise X amount of money for leukemia research, and you can be part of the team and train with us. And I go, wow, that's pretty cool. I think I'll try that. Well, when you join Team and Training, they match you with a leukemia patient. And so I met a, a young, I believe he was five years old at the time, a young boy named Glenn Miller Jr. from Logan, Ohio. And I just got inspired by this little boy's battle and his family uh, dealing with it. Um, Glenn, uh, or as they, as they call him, Glenn Bob, uh, had a bone marrow transplant. This is back in 1995, I believe this happened. Uh, from his sisters, and it didn't work. And so consequently, uh, Glenn passed away. And I just got so inspired that I was single and healthy, living a great life. I had a beautiful home down in South uh, 
from Eastern Ohio, and I'm just going, what? You know, and, and again, I was a disciple of Norman Vincent Peale and Robert Schuller and all this, and I just said, what can I do to to help? Help, you know, just help. And so every morning before I went to work at the radio station, I would get up and run. I, I happened to live way out in the beautiful countryside of Hocking County in Ohio, and I did a morning run, and the idea just struck me. And I had never even heard of anybody doing this to say, oh, I'm going to run 52 marathons in 52 weeks. Uh, <laughs> and a good, I, I'm glad ignorance is bliss because I had no idea what I was getting into at that time, you know. And I got back home, and I just started the wheels turning and raised the money and left my job at the radio station. I had been there for 16 years at the same radio station, WHOKFM in Lancaster, Ohio. And I went for it. And so that's how that came about. Do you think that um, because you were working for a radio station that was a benefit in raising the money for your marathon running? Well, I'd have to say initially. It was initially. Um, I know Glenn's family held a fundraiser for me and everything. But most of the money that uh, that I raised came while I was out on the road. The real benefit from being in radio, uh, as far as my, my what I called the super run for the cure, came from my experience in being uh, behind a microphone or on a camera. I did. I did. Gee, I don't know, maybe a hundred interviews over, maybe even more over that year on television stations all around North America and Canada and Hawaii and Alaska and newspaper interviews and radio interviews and, and got, got so much publicity and awareness through the leukemia research and awareness at that time. So that's where the true benefit was being able to, mm-hmm. to be, be, you know, have a sense of media and how to go about it. Yes, uh, you know, um, the promotion, publicity are always a challenge. Sounds like you did really yeah. well with that. I noticed it in your... It real well. Um, it did. I noticed in your race number four, you were in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Mm-hmm. I've been there. It's just so beautiful. Did the marathon oh. take you up into the hills or were you in the valley? Oh, yeah, Coeur d'Alene is absolutely gorgeous, beautiful place, way up in the mountains, not far from Spokane, Washington. Um, no, uh, surprisingly, uh, they they kept us um, within the, the town, in the valley. Uh, so okay. it was a, a relatively flat marathon. Uh, now mm-hmm. Coeur d'Alene, they still hold their marathon, but they're more famous for holding an Ironman triathlon there in Coeur d'Alene now, which is one of the biggest uh, Ironman triathlons uh, in the North America. Oh, I didn't know that. Yep. So do they um, have to swim the lake? Yes, that cold lake. I forget the name of the lake. They have to swim 2.4 miles in that lake. Then they go out and bike in the mountains 112 miles, and then they run 26.2 miles. That's all. <laughs> That's got to be a just a really tough one. I know. I know, say, 20 years ago, they were still having pollution issues with that lake because um, way back when there was a lot of mining and, uh, you know, they didn't have the regulations then, so a lot of it ended up in the lake. And it also had some, you know, kind of nasty bacteria issues as well. Sure. So I assume that's been cleaned up. <laughs> I would hope if they're in there swimming 2.4 miles. It is a very beautiful lake. Mm-hmm. You went to some beautiful locations. I did. I was so fortunate that way. Taos, New Mexico. Yeah. How did you deal? How did you deal with the higher elevations with your running? It you know, doesn't appear it affected your your finishing times that much. Yeah, you know that is uh, that is a really excellent question. And elevation when you're performing sports, or even if you just go walk, walking, you know, I, I believe Taos, if I remember, is seventy two hundred feet elevation. 
And, mm-hmm. and it actually was, if I remember my, no, I had run in Colorado at 5,200, but this is the highest I had ever run at that time. And it actually, later in the race, the, I believe the elevation did bother me some. But I've run other elevation marathons. I ran a race uh, a few years ago in Wyoming at 9,000 feet, and it never did bother me. And, and it depends on the person. Uh, sometimes it's, it's kind of a gamble. Uh, you think you're fit, and elevation can bother you. But, but uh, I, again, with my gift of, of when I'm real in really great cardiovascular and aerobic uh, um, shape, uh, it doesn't seem to bother me too much. Lucky man, like I said, Superman. <laughs> I like you. So, your 13th race was in Hawaii, and it was in a, a volcano wilderness area. What was that like? Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, that was the Kilauea Volcano Marathon on the big island of, uh, of Hawaii. It's uh, it's active, and, and it's interesting. Um when I first went to Honolulu Marathon in 1994 with Team and Training, when I joined them, I absolutely fell in love with Hawaii, and I wanted to go back so bad. So when I made my plan for my 52 marathons, I did plan on five Hawaiian marathons. So I go, well, this is a great way to go to Hawaii. When I landed uh, in Kona on the big island of Hawaii, where I've spent much time over the years, um, I was embraced by uh, Jim Lovell, who is the owner of JTL Timing and the Kona Marathon race director back then. He also timed the Kilauea Marathon. And Jim showed me all kinds of true aloha spirits, uh, uh, let me stay in his house, let me use his car. But Kilauea is about 100 miles to the east of Kona. And it is about 4,000 feet. And it's of, of, I've run a total now of 78 marathons in my life, and Kilauea Trail Volcano Marathon has to be right up there with the top three hardest marathons I've ever done. Uh, you run the first 13.1 miles over sharp lava rock uh, on a trail. Uh, if you mm-hmm. fall, you will, you will cut yourself. Uh, it's called the Ka'u Trail. And then after 13.1 miles, you run on a Jeep uh, access road up through the jungle going up from about 1,000 feet to 4,000 feet. And it was, it, was, I, it was just out of the world. I mean, at times I wasn't even sure where I was. It was about 90 degrees. I was running by oh. myself. There was only 138 people in the race. Um, uh-huh. And and when we got to when oh I'd say about the last three or four miles I was just out of it I was staggering around and out of nowhere Jim Lovell uh, my my uh, Hawaiian bro uh, he showed up and started talking me through and ran through ran me through the last three or four miles and he had told all of the aid station workers what I was doing and as I ran by they go Carl Carl. And and that was the, the the gist of it. When I got to the finish line, I'm out of my brain, and but I'm so pumped up. I get to the finish line, the last 100 meters, there's about 500 people chanting my name, Carl, Carl, and I get to the finish no line. And they threw a fresh orchid lay over my neck as they came across the finish line. <laughs> oh, man. Unbelievable. How many people actually finished that race? I think um, over over a hundred or something uh, did that. I I was pretty much a three hour thirty minute marathoner at the time, and I ran that one in a personal worst four hours and fifty eight minutes. And I still <laughs> I still came in in the middle of the pack. That's how tough it was. Personal <laughs> worst. That's <laughs> and they, that's uh, hilarious. They, they do not do that race anymore because a few years ago, a Kilauea volcano reclaimed much of the trail with lava flow, and it's in a Oh, how interesting. Yeah. Oh, for heaven's sake. So they do Kona instead, right? They, uh, they all, yeah, they've been doing Kona for a long time uh, on the other side of the island, but I understand they do a road half marathon at Kilauea, but it's not out on the Ka'u Desert Trail. 
Oh, my gosh. The stories you have to tell. Oh, so, yeah. Why don't you talk to, us, talk to us a little bit about your book, Running for Their Lives. Why did you write it? Well, you know, that's, that's another excellent question because, you know, once, once you do something extraordinary like this, it's just, I mean, you just can't keep it inside because, and, and plus I wanted to help promote uh, awareness about leukemia research, but the real bottom line about my book was how you open the show. I want to inspire people know that ordinary people can accomplish extraordinary things. Um, so it took me a while to get it published. I, I wrote it the year after I finished. I had kept a, a journal during my year of running. And when I wrote it, I just came home at night and wrote a chapter at a time uh, with my journal there and what was in my mind, which was still fresh. But I never got the book published until 2007. It just took me a long time to get that going. It's, it's a self-published book. I tried to go the, uh, um, the regular uh, publishing route. But I'm glad I got it out there. <clears throat> and, and, excuse me. Um, and the book does has a deeper meaning. Actually, I, was just, I have a copy of it here in front of me, and I was just looking um, at the intro. I hadn't looked at it for a while. And, and it says you know, that, that you have to dig for a deeper meaning. It's instead of this book is not just about perspiration, it's about inspiration. And and that line, ordinary people can accomplish extraordinary things, which I use the uh, acronym OPCATE. <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna have to get a license plate with that on it. Um, <laughs> I really I really was an ordinary runner. You know, I mean I at that time I was capable of a three thirty, three forty marathon, which Still is okay. That's pretty good. Uh, I know a lot mm-hmm. of people can run, run sub three hours. But I really was an ordinary runner, but I just had this belief that I could accomplish a, the extraordinary. And when you have true true inspiration and you, you take the belief, your faith, and apply it with inspired action, then you can achieve your goals. And, mm-hmm. and I tell people who read this book, don't just look at it for the running aspect. Yes, there's a lot of great stories about running in here and finishing times and all that. But whether you want to climb Mount Everest or if you want to play in the NBA or if you want to make a quilt to, to honor AIDS patients or if you want to, to be a great ballerina. And I have found, now that I'm a life coach, I have found so many people are totally, totally, feeling unworthy of ever, ever achieving their greatest dreams and goals. But there, as I love to say, there is a champion within each one of us, and, and that is what I, I teach nowadays, to unleash a champion within you. Believe you can do it. If Carl Gruber, an ordinary runner, can run 26.2 miles 52 weeks in a row, believe me, you can, you can accomplish your greatest goal too. And it may sound corny, but believe me, I really believe it with all my heart. No, I I agree with you. Um, you know, what you think about is what you become. That's also in your introduction. And, of course, that's one of my favorite mottos. My second favorite is you are what you eat. And I guess that's where um, you're kind of a little different <laughs> because <laughs> eating, drinking beer and pizza. <laughs> It's not really my idea of ideal nutrition to support your body through what you went through. And that's why, again, I say you're Superman. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you, Denise, you know, I kid about that. But really, I don't differ from you that much. No, I understand uh, eating healthy. I really really do overall eat healthy. I haven't eaten red meat in 25 years. I eat... Okay. Tons of tons of greens, and, and I do supplements. Uh, um, drink, stay hydrated quite a bit. But here's the thing: I kind of touched on this earlier. If I do have a beer, or if I have a pizza, you know, I'm not going to have. Even if let's just say, even if I did eat an entire large pizza, which would be a challenge for me these days, you don't do it every night. 
And if you do it, you make sure you burn it off the next day or over the next couple days. And, and generally, now when I do eat something like that, I coincide it with it knowing that I have a really hard workout the next day because I know it's going to pack my muscle fibers with complex carbohydrates, which are the fuel of that that's mm-hmm. going during that. You know, so again, kid, kid about the beer and pizza, just don't go overboard with it. Don't go wild with it every day. Make sure you line it up with burning it off. But in general, you really, truly have to eat smart, eat healthy. I, I really gravitate to organic foods and mainly mainly green and non, non-meat foods. Glad to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not too different from you in that, all right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. So for our listeners, if somebody wanted to get into running and doing it and do it safely and wisely, how would they begin to do that? Yeah, and you know it's amazing. Sometimes, uh, having been a runner for so long, and I've I've worked in a long time in the running special specialty in industry. Uh, and when I do encounter newbies, somebody who wants want to get going on it, um, I always say, you start running one foot in front of the other a whole lot of times. But but the biggest <laughs> the biggest challenge is people want to do too much too soon. You know, they get mm-hmm. down the hole. We just we just had all the New Year's Eve resolutions. I'm going to lose 20 pounds, and I'm going to run a, a half marathon this spring, and everything. And 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 you can do it. Uh, I know, especially a lot of young guys who were athletes uh, in in high school, and it was nothing for them to go out and pound a, out a couple miles and play four hours of basketball and go home and and eat a whole pizza. And now they're 30 and 30, 32, and they're out of shape. And they go right back out. Yeah, I can do and Oh, they come back. They're sore for days and everything. You know, the body, as I well know, will, and, and so many people do, will accomplish things far beyond what you can even conceive. But you have to respect it. You have to treat it right. And, and when it comes time to this, a long, slow, progressive buildup is a real key. If you've been sedentary for a very long time, uh, rather than go out and run, what you need to do is go out and walk. And, and do it at least three to five days a week, uh, 30 minutes at a time. And as the weeks go by, uh, slowly maybe do it six days a week uh, for 40 minutes at a time. Uh, I mean, there's plenty of training programs out there. And and if you want to start running, once you're, uh, you start to improve your, your fitness level, uh, maybe you can go to the track and run a lap at a time and walk three laps or run one more lap, which is 400 meters, which is a quarter of a mile, or 100 mm-hmm. meters. So it's a long, slow, progressive buildup. And once you start training on a regular basis, there's a, an old uh, standby rule with, with training for running, and it's the 10% rule. Don't increase your weekly mileage more than 10% per week. Uh, and, again, this is teaching your body slowly but surely over a long period of time. So if one week you ran 10 miles, the next week your total mileage would be 11 miles. So and then just keep hmm. adding 10 more percent, 10 more percent. And that's a great, that's great. great way to get started. But but mm-hmm. don't, don't also don't run as hard as you can all the time. I'm going to go back to many of the young guys I know who go out and they, and they, they come and they crash after – they, they they bonk after a six-mile or, or even a three-mile run. I just don't understand why I can't get out there and, and go beyond that. And I go, I find out they've been trying to run 6.30 per mile when really they're capable of it, but your body can't sustain that for long periods of time. What they need to do is go out and run a 9.30 mile, slowly build up, allow their body to adapt, and then throw in some six-minute and 30-second miles. So, again, it's all about progressively and smartly building up. I tried running when I was younger, and the most I could ever get up to was three miles. My brain mm-hmm. <laughs> just couldn't get past it. <laughs> well, I was on a- 
I have certainly found that not everybody is a fan of running. After working in running running specialty store where I fit many people for running shoes and running gear and and had I've had I've had I've had hundreds of people say to me, I hate running you know. Well, <laughs> you know, that's why you see so many people running with earbuds and because they're listening to their favorite tunes, it says it, it motivates them, mm-hmm. keeps them going. Um and but they know they need to do it. Uh, there's other ways to exercise, but but of all the sports, running is the one that that will get you in the best shape and and, and keep you going. Uh, generally, uh, the the general rule is when you run, you're going to burn 100 calories per mile, and that can fluctuate according to your your body size and your effort. So if you get a person out there who is five foot eight and weighs 130 pounds, they're probably going to burn 90 to 100 calories per 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 mile. If you get a five foot eight person out there who weighs 300 pounds and starts running, they're definitely going to be burning way more calories at that time because because uh, they're putting way more effort into it. Their body is working way harder. So, but that's that's a great thing, you know, if, if to go out and come back and okay, I ran five miles, I just burned five hundred calories. I'm going to go have a ba- a bagel. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious, in um, how many pairs of shoes did you go through running fifty two marathons? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's also another great question because you know running shoes are only supposed to be good for four to five hundred miles of running only. And I was fortunate. I knew um, a couple guys uh, here in in, uh, Columbus, Ohio, where I live, who owned a running store. And I later went on to work for them. However, at this time, I was a customer, and they found out what I was going to do. And they arranged with Brooks Running Shoes to give me five pairs of Brooks Running Shoes for free to run my 52 marathons, (laughs) which was fantastic. And so I wore a pair of... uh, Shoes for 13 marathons, so 13 times 26.2 miles, whatever that is, and I'm not a math genius. And then I would switch it out, so I went through five pairs over the year. Wow. Year. Yeah. Did, did they give you all five in the beginning? Yes, they did. I had all five of them with me on the road. Yep. So, so they knew that you needed five pair of shoes. Yeah, they were pretty smart runners. <laughs> they knew what I was going to need. And it worked. That's amazing. Hmm. Of all the marathons that you ran, which one was your favorite? We know which one was your least favorite. <laughs> what was your favorite? <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's a real close call. A lot of times I say uh, pretty much any Hawaiian marathon um even though I've lived in Kona, Hawaii, off and on over the last uh, decade, I love Kona, but I really, really like the Maui Marathon. Uh, it's it's the only marathon that I've ever run where I actually could see whales jumping out of the water while I was running along the ocean, and there were paparazzi everywhere because the year I ran it. Uh, a famous television, uh, Japanese television personality, Ryoka Kamioka, who did a talk show in Japan, came over and brought all these famous Japanese actors and actresses, and they were running the marathon. And everywhere I was, there were helicopters and motorcycles with cameras, and I guess I was running next to famous Japanese movie stars and stuff like that. <laughs> but the, the, be- the beauty of it, and you, you finish right in Kaanapali Beach, uh, in, mm-hmm. in Whaler's Village on the uh, yes. the west side or the uh, leeward side of the Maui, it's just phenomenal. Uh, one it of is. my uh, one of the ties up there. Two other that I'd have to see right up there in Maui were uh, Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Uh, which I love is I love Jackson Hole. Oh, uh, phenomenally beautiful. It was run, I believe, in it September. Is. And mm-hmm. we, they bust us 26.2 miles outside of town, and we ran back into town. And mm-hmm. as we ran, the Teton Mountains are on my left and the Snake River on my right. 
and we finished in uh, Teton Village, and, it was, and there were the wildflowers were blooming. It was the heart of a warm summer there in, in uh, Jackson mm-hmm. Hole. Phenomenal. And finally, uh, one of my all-time favorite races, which was number 52 of my 52 marathons, was the Big Sur Marathon that <clears throat> starts 26.2 miles south of Carmel, California, and runs north and finishes in Carmel, on Highway 1, and they shut down uh, Highway 1, a two-lane highway, and, and you have this phenomenal view of the Pacific Ocean two or 300 feet below you for the entire race. And it's a very hilly, challenging course, but it's yes. truly one of the most pretty courses. Taking you uh, back to Jackson Hole, Wyoming, when you said that they took you outside of the town, 26 miles, was it toward... Yellowstone, or was it the opposite direction? You know, I, I'm not really sure. I was unfamiliar. They put us on school buses. All I know is we started um, on on a gravel road, three, uh, and with a couple of hills on it, and then we ran back towards town, and then it became paved road. Uh, so I'm not quite sure what direction okay. we went. Okay. Hmm, interesting. So since then. You became a life coach. Um, you're certified as, as um, a law of attraction life coach. How did that come about? And how does that fit in with your running and your health and living well? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, I love how, how you piece those together. <clears throat> well, I'd say, you know, I think if we go back to when you asked me how did I get into um, the positive possibility power thinking thing, I think the, becoming uh, a law of attraction life coach was a natural extension of where I developed spiritually uh, from, from trying to inspire people and make the world a better place and to understand my place in the universe. And when I understood, when I really started to study about the law of attraction, which is basically defined as like attracts like, or what you think and dwell upon is what you will draw or manifest in your life. Or as, as we stated earlier, what you think about is, is what you become. Uh, and so it was a natural extension, and I, I, I absolutely love it. I, I just, I, when I talk people about it, and I teach some classes, and when I talk to clients uh, and talk about it, it's, it's uh, eye-opening to a lot of people. They, most people don't understand it, uh, how truly powerful our thoughts are. Our thoughts are real things. Everything is energy. This is one of the things we studied when we were becoming life, a law of attraction life coaches. And everything is energy. If you put your your, um, an electron microscope over the table in front of you, you would see a mass of vibrating atoms. If you put that same electron microscope over your hand, looking at your own hand, you would see a mass of vibrating atoms. So everything is vibrating at a frequency. Uh, and so consequently, our thoughts, when you think about it, our thoughts are real energy. But many people, just because they can't see their thoughts, Think of them, oh, they're just this will of the wisp. I, I think the thought, and I can't see it, it just goes off into nothingness, which is not true. You can't see certain spectrums of, of light. Uh, you can't see gravity, but we know it's there. So the power of your thought, once you understand this, that you attract in your life via the power of your thought as you continue to think and dwell upon it, that's when you start to go, well, maybe I better be a little more careful about this, what I think about all the time, you know. It's, I gave an mm-hmm. example of this the other day to somebody, uh, and this is classic. Oh, man, everybody at work and at school has a flu, man. I just know I'm going to get the flu. I'm telling you, God, I can t- I, I'm sure I'm going to get the flu. And I'll tell you what, the universe is going to deliver the flu to that person for sure, <laughs> whether they've been exposed to it or not. Uh, that's a classic <laughs> example uh, mm-hmm. of that. So the law of attraction, uh, life coaching for me, is just a natural extension of my, of my spiritual expansion and studies and knowledge. And, and uh, 
I, I really love using it, whether it's just for talking to people about physical fitness, but it, it can be about anything. I, I, I work with uh, some clients with any area of their life. You're doing that full-time now? Pretty much. Pretty much. Actually, um, I can definitely say that uh, for sure starting next week. <laughs> I have been, but it's definitely happening uh, now. So. Oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So. so what other insights are in your book, Running for Their Lives? Well, you know, I, I actually bookmarked a quote um, on here, and we'll go back to the physical fitness aspect. And then, then I, I will. Talk, I want to go back to uh, a little more about some things with the law of attraction and how it works with our, including physical fitness. But okay. there, there is this professor at a college in LA, and I, I can't remember what college he's at, but he's an amazing guy. If you go on uh, on uh, online, and, and there's this uh, video of. of very smart people talking on called Ted. You can find a video of this guy. He's got this unbelievably long Polish name. Uh, his name is Mahali Csikszentmihalyi. It's got all kinds of Z's and everything in it. But he has an amazing, amazing book, and he's a professor of positive psychology, one of the two preeminent uh, uh, psychologists in this area. His book is called Flow, The Psychology of Optimal Experience. And the quote from this book, which I have in my intro of my book, is every person, no matter how unfit he or she is, can rise a little higher, go a little faster, and grow a little stronger. The joy of surpassing the limits of the body is open to all. And I, I love that. It just it just so nails it. It's just so beautiful. I, and I think that so many people just don't let that out of themselves. They don't believe that they can do it, whether it's start, you know, just going out and starting walking or, you know, I told, told you about climbing Mount Everest or whatever. You know, everybody can surpass those, that mediocrity they, they, they've let themselves fall into. Mm-hmm. I agree. Completely. Yeah. If you get a chance to read that book, I mean, it's, it's really not a hard read, and, and a lot of times when you read it, uh, You'll you'll uh, find it's it's very interesting. You'll agree with a lot of things, and you can get in the flow and a lot a lot of things. A lot of athletes know that when you're running a marathon or Kobe Bryant who's driving to the basket, you just everything mm-hmm. slows down. Everything slows down, and you can't hear anything. All you're in the moment. You're in the flow of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Well, when you were talking earlier about how our bodies vibrate, etc. Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen Have you ever seen your blood under a microscope? Not mine, but I, I've seen it on on like the Discovery Channel, that type of thing. Okay, but well, they are vibrating. I mean, You're right. They're moving. The, the cells yeah. are literally moving. They look like little mm-hmm. tadpoles, except that they're round. Uh huh. And they're not stagnant. And to me, oh. that's yeah. That is um, basically confirmation right there. Isn't that ironic? I also read. You know, I'm sorry. I also but... read a really good. Um, I also read a really good book called the um, Biology of Belief. I think that's the name of it by Lipton, and he he's a researcher for many many you know, years. I haven't, I haven't read that book, but I it, I believe that's Hay House Hay House Publishing and. And I've heard it's just phenomenal, and that's on my list to, to read to read some mm-hmm. things. Yeah, because he talks about the cells in the body. I mean, that's what he was researching all these, you know, for many, many years, mm-hmm. and how he, mm-hmm. he basically determined that the actual membrane of a cell reacts like our brain and our body does. Mm-hmm. It, it remembers things. I was just Boy, astonished. Yeah. And so that takes us back to when you were saying about our thoughts and how our thoughts affect our physical and emotional health. Same right. thing. Uh, you know, just a quick uh, question here. Do we have much time left? Because I was just looking at the clock. 
Yeah, we basically um, have less than a minute. Okay, all right, okay. Wow, man, this time just flew by. Holy mackerel. It really did. Thank you. It really did. So why don't you tell our listeners where they can um, purchase your book and how they can get a hold of you? Oh, absolutely. Uh, my book is called Running for Their Lives, and there is spelled T-H-E-I-R. It's available on Amazon.com in, in uh, Kindle form, digital format, paperback, hardback. Uh, or you can go to my publisher's website, X Libris, X-L-I-B-R-I-S. And my name, Carl, is spelled with a K, and that's Gruber, G-R-U-B-E-R. You can also go to my website, uh, carlgrubberlifecoach.com. Uh, you can find the link to buy my book through there. Uh, you can actually download a, ch- a free chapter of my book on my website, carlgrubberlifecoach.com, and see if you're interested in it. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Carl. And I want to personally thank you for taking your time out to be with us. And I wish you well in your running My again. pleasure. My pleasure. Absolutely. I really thank you so much for this opportunity to chat with your listeners and you. Great. Just great. Okay, listeners, please tune in again next Wednesday at 4 o'clock and that specific standard time or 7 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. We will be signing off now, and I thank all of you for joining us today. Bye-bye. We celebrate our listeners worldwide and invite you to contact Denise at www.healthmedianow.com with any questions you may have. And follow her on Twitter at Health Media Now and Facebook at Health Media Now. For those interested in an advertising campaign on her show, contact Lisa at knowledgeworkspub.com. Be sure to visit Got Cancer Now What? for information on Denise Messenger's award-winning book, Got Cancer? Now What? 